Hi, I'm Mitch Stocker, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Life in the Peloton. I hope you enjoyed the last episode where I was talking with Rory Sutherland on our way back from Paris Nice. Horrible audio, but great episode. So if you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. On today's episode, we're chatting with my teammate, Taylor Finney, as we're now in the depths of the classics with Roubaix just around the corner. I thought it'd be good to chat to Taylor as he had an outstanding performance last year in Roubaix. So we're going to discuss that. But before that, we start talking about his career because in my eyes, he's had a career in two parts. Everything up until 2014 where he had his big crash and everything up until now. Um, And Taylor... I think since that crash has had a new outlook on life itself and cycling as well. So it's really interesting we discuss the way he goes about things now as a pro cyclist. And of course, we also discuss Roubaix. So I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, I welcome Taylor Finney. Well, <clears throat> here we are. <laughs> here we are. The vibe has changed. The vibe has changed. We're here, up in Belgium, sitting in our little 106 at Lockeren, our hotel room for the next few weeks. In the studio, grinding. In the studio. And if we do sound echoey in here, it is an echoey, randomly echoey room. I hope that recorded. It's a weird, dyna- it's a weird acoustic in here. Um, anyway... I'm rooming with you, Taylor, and I finally pinned you down to get you on the pod. Very happy. Welcome. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It's been something that I've been mentally preparing for for years. We were supposed to do it at Roubaix last year, but it never happened. And I'm glad it didn't happen then, because then we can talk about Roubaix last year. This year. Exactly. Well, we might as well start what I wanted to ask you about. Um... Firstly, what I wanted to talk to you about today was, I feel like, to give people a little background, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to know who Taylor Finney is, um, because you really, you started as a young guy very, very successfully, um, and to give a bit of background, you've got two Olympic medalist parents your mother and father, who both won medals at the Olympics. So you, you're born with good genes. You came into the sport and you hit the ground running. You know, even at the age of 15, you were riding for Slipstream, which, you know, was the amateur Slipstream back then. Um, and I, I read that you had 20 victories in that team. So, like, as a young guy, you were already a gun. Um, and then from there on, you know, at age 18, you went to the Olympics and then went into Trek Live Strong. So you pretty much lived like the dream of a young cyclist I would love to do. And, you know, following on from there, you know, you went to BMC, 2012, you went to the Olympics again, had some amazing results there, fourth in the time trial, fourth in the road race. The wooden medal. <laughs> yeah, double, but... Double wooden medal. <laughs> okay, you could look at it that way. But also, I look at it the other way. I'm like... Yeah, not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. Still, I do remember being a kid and watching the Olympics, and I'd always, like, 
take note of who got fourth. <laughs> did you see it as that? Uh, yeah, 100%. After the time trial, did you see it as that? <clears throat> yeah, the time trial wasn't even that, wasn't that close, though. I was, like, maybe a, a minute off of third place. So was that a happy fourth? Big gaps. That was a hap, like, happy to be... I was, like, just happy to be done with that. With that, ex- with that experience, it was pretty stressful leading up to that. Uh, but the road race was, like, you know, s- we were sprinting for third, sprinting for the one carrot. There was one carrot there, and it was, yeah, just watched it slip away, you know? Yeah. So I have that image, and I was pissed afterwards, but obviously remained super grateful just to be able to be, like, in the top five at the Olympics is huge, but... How old were you then? <clears throat> I was 20... I just turned 22. Yeah, like, that's also a thing too. Were you thinking at that point, that's all right, I'm only 22. Plenty of Olympics to come. Yeah, I definitely had the impression, you know, I had spent some time with George Hincapie in BMC and he had been to like five Olympics. And in my mind, I was like, all right, well, this is Olympics number two. I have at least three left because I'm going to be racing forever. (laughs) Well, just, I know we can go on and on because what I wanted to build up to the point was the results just kept rolling and they were just getting bigger and bigger and better. And it was just like, I see your career and the guy that I know you as now and the guy that I saw you as before two different people and I didn't really know whether that was true um and what did you think about me before yeah I guess what I wanted to call this podcast was and I don't mean this in any kind of offensive way is I used to be a jock (laughs) you know like and yeah, it was jock. a hard, hardcore jock. Yeah, like, you know, you were just, you were a sportsman in, in every way possible. And I didn't know that, but from the outside, it seemed like that. You ticked all the boxes and you lived for the sport. And I'm not saying that you don't live for the sport now, but you you understand that there is more to life than sport. And that is also, I think as I've grown older that you understand yeah I guess as you get older and more mature that this is a brilliant part of our life but there's also so much more to life in this period and that also actually helps me being a better sportsman weirdly in a roundabout way that I understand that it's not all about doing the extra minute on the bike it's about doing that and then also about finding out who I am and understanding a little bit about myself too. Um, is this something that, yeah, like run me through, because the point I want to get to is at two, in 2014, it was a real turning point for you in your career. And yeah, you had a big crash, fractured your lower leg, and that may just, you know, stop the sport. So I'm, I'm talking on and on. I'm not really letting you talk because what I want to do is I want to get to this point and ask <laughs> you about the two sides. So yeah. tell me. Um, tell me what you're thinking right now. What, what I'm thinking, what I would like to address Go. is um, um, like what you were saying with the, with 
it not being about doing that extra minute on the bicycle. Um, there's a there's a lifestyle that we are allowed to live as a professional athlete that is super we're super lucky to have the amount of time that we have to be at home um, to be traveling to be seeing different places and it's really easy to get caught up in this idea that you're not doing enough that you're not training enough that you're not racing as well as you possibly can and you end up feeling like you're killing a lot of that time in between Mm. and that the time that you're spent resting that you're not on the bike is somehow this time that just that you need to kill and that you that you that you can't be present in other activities with so um i think that's the main that's the main change that i've that i've undergone since since having this crash and i've talked about this you know i've talked about this crash like so many times and it's totally like my narrative right we all have our narratives we all have our stories i went through media training when i was 17 i was still in high school and i was terrified of cameras and i was going on like cnn and nbc and all of this these huge networks in the u.s Mm. so there is very much like this this narrative of our stories which I don't want to totally have dominate like this conversation because I feel like we have a genuine connection Mm. and um, but at the same time for sure the version of myself before the crash and the version of myself afterwards is completely different Um, and we can call it the crash but I feel like it was more just like this removal from the bubble totally that is professional yeah. sport it wasn't that yeah totally and I, I i understand that too is that and that's something that's happened to me too is that i had a, a big crash in roubaix a few years ago and i felt like and maybe this is true for you too that if i had stopped cycling before that crash for as if i had quit off my own decision or if i just couldn't get a contract I somehow felt somewhat ashamed going back to the Australian public, right? And I was like, oh, I don't know, I can't go back or, you know, I've got to keep doing this for some reason. I'm like, I have to just keep doing this, right? I had this crash in Roubaix and I was like, hang on, now I've got it. I've actually got an out if I want. I can stop now and people will go to me, yeah, I can see why you stopped, mate, because, you know, you had that big crash and whatever. So then finally I could come back and race. And I was like, it's funny now, how we look at we look for that. Yeah, but then the, when I did want to come back, I actually could make a choice. Okay, do you want to come back, or do you not? You can actually make the choice now, and no one's going to think either th- anything of it. Whereas before that crash, I sort of felt like I couldn't make the choice to get out. I just had to keep going down this road because I was doing it. I put so much into it, and then when I finally made that choice to come back, finally when I made that choice to come back. I did it on my terms. I was like, no, no, I'm going to do this as much as I can my way. I know, was was that the same for you? I think I didn't have that realization until I had already made it back. Right. And, I mean, honestly, I kind of had this thing for my first couple years where I was injured a lot. 
um, it had a lot to do with being just a lot just bigger I grew an inch my first year as a professional like I was still growing when I was racing professionally Jesus. and I was just having these knee injuries all the time and every time I would get <coughs> you're still putting your seat up yeah. Here. yeah changing position dude two and a half centimeters <laughs> in one year like racing Anico tour I, I did two weeks at the Vuelta I just got my ass kicked putting the seat up as you go along. <laughs> every, every stage <laughs> yeah, but right. I just um yeah like you said you just keep you just keep doing it because it's all you know but when I would have those injuries I would almost be relieved in yeah. a sense that I was like okay like I finally I can breathe like I don't have to be so worried about this race or this race or this race like I can just focus on recovering my body in a way I felt comfortable with that so when I had this crash and I you know initially they told me it was going to be like six months recovery and in the end it, t- it ended up being 16 months I think doctors kind of like mess with you a little mm. bit especially won't give you false hope well, no. <laughs> no they didn't give me false hope because they they did tell me like if you if you were ever riding a bike again you should send me a photo kind of like that and I was like, yeah. So they try and ski the other way. I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, I'll be back. Maybe it was me. Maybe I was the one who was like, I'm going to be back racing in six months. Actually, I'm going to take that. It was 100% me. <laughs> that, that it was like just a bump in the road. I mean, I had just completely shattered my, my tibia and my patella. and like, um, But just that mentality. So I was like, hell yeah, I know how to do this. I, I can just take care of myself now. And... Um, 16 months later like I was back in it and I was ready to go and I came back and I was and I won a race like really quickly and we won the team time trial at the world championships and this was within like three months of me coming back to professional cycling and um well well, let's rewind just two seconds before you go on at that moment that's in your mind, you said, I'm going to be back in six months, right? During that period, six months and 16 months, at what moment in that time there when you realized, holy shit, this is going to take a hell of a lot longer than I thought, was there cracking moments or was there just like a, an acceptance moment? Or when was this this period or maybe you don't even know when it was where you, where you decided to <clears throat> understand who you were? It was about three months three months in the the USA Pro Challenge which is basically the tour of Colorado was starting in my hometown and I was hanging out at the start line and all of the team actually came to my apartment and we had a coffee because I lived like two blocks away from the start yeah and that I remember being like being there and jumping back into the cycling world but also just like not being able to use my leg in the way that I was used to Mm. around all of those people like it's one thing when you're doing rehab and stuff on your own but then when you are just thrust back into that environment and you really see like how far you have to go um that that was when I after that I I cut it just for my own kind of emotional Stability. I just stopped reading anything about cycling, and really just dive, dove, dove into the community of people that I had around me, which mm. was something that I never really felt like I could do. Yeah. Because we travel so much, and we're never, we're never in one place for more than a month, really, mm. if we're lucky. 
So I had these, I mean, I have, but I had these friends. They actually don't live in Boulder um, anymore. But I just had this community that I, that were also going through kind of a similar experience in their life. And we were really tight. Um, And I just clicked out of the cycling community and I dove into like an actual real world community for the first time in my adult life. Was it a conscious decision or just sort of actually you went, I need to get away from the cycling world, I'm going to just hang out with these guys. And then next thing you know, you're like, I'm fully into this. Or you're really going, I need to get into this. Um, I think it was... A combination of both, eh? Yeah, know. it was just kind of like, um, I think it was a bit of like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this, mm. of obsessing over this whole cycling thing. Yeah. And I've also spent like so much of my career being really stressed out about this sport so why do i need to be stressed out about it now now yeah if i have all of this time yeah and um and that was also around the same time that i started painting and like opening opening up a completely different side of my mind that i'd been just laying there dormant for a while did anyone help you recognize this this side or did you discover it yourself <clears throat> yeah um one of my friends from this group, uh, she's a, she's a really incredible artist, and I like had a massive crush on her in <laughs> in high school, um, and then, like, then we met up, uh, just around this time, and she had just gone through a breakup, and she was part of this clique, this little crew that we had kind of formed. Um, and I obviously had a continued to have a crush on her at that time, <laughs> um, but she was yeah she just was like like yeah I'll paint I'll, uh, I'll paint I'll exactly. do anything and you're like hang on I actually <clears throat> like this yeah I mean what how do we how do men actually get into anything right <laughs> it's it's a girl yeah right but she opened that door and really from the first time I was like wow this is so nice it's so nice to do something that there's no result and I can work at it as hard as I want and I'm going to get better at it but there's no one riding me there's no like I don't have to upload any of this to the internet and no one's looking at it or judging it or telling me that it needs to be better or worse or that I need to rest or I need to do more it's just like if I want to do it I do it and so I would just sit down and I would just paint for like six seven hours you know, and I didn't have, all I was doing was rehab in the day. So I would paint like all night and go to sleep at 4am <laughs> and then just, and it was the winter time too. So it wasn't even nice outside. It was perfect. Yeah. Right. And did that, <clears throat> did that then, cause that took you to a new sort of place, um, during that period. And I want to ask you a little bit about, cause I don't know whether you, well, I'm going to share it anyway, but in the room, you know, um, you do quite a lot of meditation and, um, you know, it's quite, it's quite calming to wake up and your roommate is, you know, sitting there in his own thoughts and just, you know, being at peace with that too. And it's quite a calming, a calming thing being in a, with a, in a room with you like that, because it brings you, it slows you down as well. 
at what point there did you sort of move into stuff like that and and go that next step finding a little bit more out about yourself and exploring that side I started meditating I started meditating after I after I started racing again um, I felt like uh, when I came back into the sporting environment that I was missing this like I was missing something and I couldn't handle the energy I couldn't handle everybody's energy uh, around me and I couldn't handle my own energy like I just I would just kind of like spiral spiral out of it mm-hmm. um, and I, would, I felt like I was really just I felt like I wasn't feeling anything I felt like kind of numb and I also felt like I wasn't in control I guess I had a couple experiences when I was before I started racing where I felt like I was sitting in the woods and I would just like close my eyes and I was just interested in this idea of meditation. Um, but I didn't start regularly meditating until I, until I started racing again. And it was in the off season of 2015 after I'd come back, I had won the, I had won a race in Colorado. I had won the team time trial world championships in Richmond, but I didn't feel Mm. great about it. I didn't feel like when that happened, I just felt relieved and I didn't feel like ecstatic. I didn't feel like this passionate numb, like you said. Yeah. And I felt kind of numb. And I, and I also had this feeling like, I don't know if I'm in control of my life. I don't know if I, like I did all this work to come back and I don't feel good about the winning the biggest, the world championships. Yeah, it's like if I don't feel good now, what next is there? You know, exactly. this is ridiculous. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so I found myself in a hotel room in Belgium during the classics, and to be completely honest, like super depressed. And I was in this hotel room for like three weeks, um, and it was around this time. It was around like it was in the build up into Roubaix. But we were going, you know, this year we went, I was with BMC and it was a year that Greg crashed in Flanders and broke his collarbone and it was like someone had died, you know, like the vibe was like mortuary. And I'm just in my room and I was in a solo room and I would, I was just like crying and drawing and like drawing a bunch of skulls everywhere and it was that that point really where I recognized like okay you have to just sit down and close your eyes and just do 15 minutes of meditation I started with 10 but I wanted to bump it up as fast as I could and it was really really difficult at first I was like would get really paranoid that the alarm didn't go off yeah, you know, right. like as if I was going to be stuck in the meditation for like the rest of my life. Were you, were you practiced in meditation at that point or were you just sort of no. teaching yourself as you went along? No, that was just like taking an idea of what I thought meditation was and then putting it into practice, which was basically like sit with your eyes closed and just deal with it <laughs> because I couldn't deal with it. Mm. I couldn't deal with I couldn't deal with sitting in silence. I always had to be stimulated with something. And I think that that's a pretty universal feeling. Yeah. 
And I felt that there was like a great amount of weakness and vulnerability in that. And I wanted to be stronger in those silent moments. So I just decided that I had to do something about it. And from starting there, I then discovered different methods and different ways of practicing. But it sounds like to me, like, like you just said, you work so hard, not only off the bike, I mean, on the bike to get back in 2.15, but also off the bike. Like you said, you were discovering yourself. You were you were having fun. You were just sort of letting your emotions come out and be expressed. And all of a sudden, you get thrown back into this bubble. And you see yourself, like you said, getting caught up in all this crap. And you're like, you recognize it straight away that, hang on, no this is not really what I wanted to come back into. This is not what I imagined. And then, like you just said, you caught yourself and you've, you've recognized that you've able to, and the person that I've met now is this person that, I don't know, is it that you're now able to do this sport in your control, you know, to a degree? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I started doing it when I was, I started doing it at a really high level when I was 17. That was when I was trying to qualify for the Olympics. And I mean, my whole idea, my whole goal for my whole childhood life was like, I have to be a legendary sports person. Yeah. I wanted to be a soccer player. I wanted to be like Ronaldo. But I went and played. We went. And, I went and played soccer in Italy for three years when we lived there, and I realized like that I don't have it to be Ronaldo, and so cycling was like my next best option, and that 100% comes from who my parents are and just growing up with like the way people treated them and how recognized they were for just these just these accomplishments, these medals that they received on on one day of their life, yeah. you know, that just has defined them for their whole lives. And I was like, yeah, okay, I want that because that's like, whatever, whatever that meant to me, that's what I wanted uh, at that time. But like everything you want when you're 17 is not necessarily what you want when you're, when you're 25 or 28 or 35. So... I, um, yeah, I feel like I just got, uh, I feel like when I had this crash and I was out, I started something that was purely my own, that I wasn't, I wasn't aiming to become some idea. I wasn't trying to become a, a legend or some sort of, some sort of famous thing in the public eye. I was just starting something because I really liked it and I I really liked I loved winning when I when I started racing I wasn't like going out and just enjoying riding riding and training was just a vehicle for me to be able to win because I just wanted to win and now now I just love riding yeah (laughs) now I just love riding and the idea of winning is like hell yeah like I know that there's nothing there's no drug in the world that feels the same way as winning a bike race. Like that is, that is for real. Winning a bike race is, is a real incredible experience 
but the way the races that I've won in the past, I wasn't in a frame of mind to appreciate it. It was like there and it was gone. Stepping stones almost like, and I was reaching for it to get it back and I could never get it back, you know? And so I was like, okay, I need a next, I need the next thing. I need a bigger thing. You know, I need the bigger, I need this bigger thing. And I think that that's where the meditation found me to a certain degree because I've, I've always had this feeling of like, why can't you just appreciate anything, you know, Mm. (laughs) just like everything that comes to you, just appreciate it. And that was a tiny voice in the back of my head that I felt like I needed to water almost like a seed and grow into a plant. How do you see then now when you're looking around and you see some other guys who are maybe similar to you when you were younger, how do you deal with those types of people working with them in such close proximity? Does it wash off on you in that negative way, you know, or not negative way? No, I recognize, I recognize the main thing I recognize is that when I was that age and when I was at that mentality, no one could tell me anything. Yeah. Like I didn't listen to anybody because I thought that I knew everything that was best for me. Um, so I recognize that when I'm interacting with, with people who I see that in them, I just recognize that in them and I just accept that about them. Um, and beyond that, all I can really do is just kind of like just like challenge and attempt to inspire in a kind of a different way, not in like a, f- not, not full on. Like we don't really. Not yeah. Like, listen to me. I know the way you got to <laughs> do this. Yeah. It's just like, look, if you're interested, I'm here. You can ask me, but also yeah. I, I respect that you're on your railroad to wherever you want to go. And that's fine too. You know, yeah. I'll be still here when you want to come back. Yeah, I more just try to present the the most honest version of of myself and also my real intention, um, at least in the past couple months with my meditation, is to be as present as possible with the people that I'm around, no matter who those people are and how I feel about those people, to attempt to view them for who they are and and attempt to just see within them the unique, that thing that makes them unique Mm. and that makes them shine and that makes them happy because everybody has this, everybody has this ingredient and we all, you know, nobody knows the, like the answer to, to everything, but you can connect with, with anybody and you connect by just being honest and recognizing that other person. Tell me then, when we're up here now in this pretty high pressure zone in terms of pressure from one ourselves, two from the teams, and three from just in that peloton, this is it's sort of a evil's not the right word, but it's pretty demanding environment. It's nasty. It's a nasty environment. What are the tricks? What is your technique when you're up here? to get you through this period. You spoke about being in the hotel for those three weeks and getting into that dark place with BMC back in the day. And that was a different story, but it is easy to slip back in that environment when, you know, things don't go right. You've in a crash or you're just not living up to that random expectation you have. How are you getting through this period up here? 
Well, not through, but what's, yeah, yeah. But I'm well. Okay, so what I'm grateful uh, grateful for my various injuries. Um, what I've learned from that is that there's a ton of maintenance that I have to do and can do with my own body for my own body to be as open um, and as turned on, like just ready as possible. Physically and mentally? Yeah, physically and then also the mental component. So, I mean, my meditation practice is is the same no matter where I am. It's a foundation that I can touch back to. I meditate two times a day, once right when I wake up and then also in the afternoon at some point. Um, Do you feel if you don't get that in the morning, you can't go on? Is it like a superstitious thing? I don't. I haven't missed a morning meditation in probably three years. Wow. There's always time. I make yeah. time because the essence of the meditation is that the, medi- the, the time you spend in the meditation is more beneficial to you and to your day and actually more restful than sleeping. Mm. So I make that time and sometimes it's difficult. We have flights at seven in the morning. I got to wake up at five. And I wake up at four forty-five to just get it in, just to just to do it. To reset, to start the day right. Yeah, I yeah. just I just do it. It's just not a. It's, it's not a chore. It's, no, it's not a chore, but it's it's also just like, it's. I feel like we yearn for. Especially as athletes, we yearn to be dedicated to something Mm. all the time and we feel better if we complete something that is helping us achieve you know something else (laughs) like we're 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 dedication oriented and if all you have is the bicycle and that's the only thing that you are dedicated to there's days where you just shouldn't ride your bike and Mm. you can't ride your bike you might be injured or you might just need to take a day off. And it's so difficult for athletes. It was difficult for me in the past to deal with myself mentally when I didn't engage in my outlet, my dedication outlet. So the meditation is something that I can continue to practice and that I can be dedicated to that doesn't have any strings attached to anything that I'm doing in my career life. Yeah, yeah but it transcends into everything. So the better I am with my meditation, the better I am at racing my bike, the more present I am with people, the more patient I am with myself, the more I can be, uh, the more I can kind of enter this flow state with, 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 with art and music. So it's like the ultimate, it's like watering the ultimate seed. Mm. And is that, is that, Coming back to the original question, is that something that is the foundation of just getting through this period up here? It's just like it's your it's your safe safe place you can go to every day to reset. Yeah, well, so yeah, so I guess what I was saying was before you can be one hundred percent externally, you have to do the work internally. So I spend a lot of time doing this work internally so that the external doesn't 
affect me to a point where I am deviated from the tracks, you know, that Mm. I fall off the rails in a stressful environment like this, which is, it's also long, it's a long period of time. Um, and recently with these kind of races, because they're so intense, um, and scary, yeah, they're scary, you know, um, they challenge you to do things you don't want to do. There's a lot, and there's a lot of people that you know that are getting, that are getting hurt. Like every time Mm. you race, there's somebody crashes and breaks something. And it's like, it's a, there's a constant reminder that like, Hey, you might, you know, hurt yourself. You might hurt yourself today. But I've been, I've been really attempting to view it as a game when I'm in, when I'm in the Peloton, like a video game. Mm. like removing yourself from that um, like emotional stuff yeah removing my own like respecting my fear and respecting my instinct and my intuition but using that as a way to navigate through this like sensory overload of being inside of the peloton and just have the patience to look for different ways of operating and different ways of navigating through that peloton and just like not taking everything so personally like if I don't make it to the front at a certain point and I'm in the back just making a note of like what that feels like and then when I am in the front for the crucial point making a note of what that feels like mm. and just constantly attempting to let these these successes and failures go yeah because a lot of the time you're like okay i'm in the front i've made it to the front like hell yeah and then before you know it you've spent five minutes comfortable because you think you're in the front and then you're in the wrong position and it's over yeah and you've just missed it and then you're like i just lost it like it's gone i what am i doing And you beat yourself up and you get disappointed and then you just fall into that cycle and then the race is over yeah but it's like attempting to let all of that go both the the super confidence and the disappointment and just treating it as if it was a video game like okay i, I failed i lost a life <laughs> yeah start again just start again like you can always try to come back and when you get to the front i just pass that level onto the next level let's just keep going yeah like it's never over yeah and, <laughs> and it isn't <laughs> it's not uh, well, okay. Well, then moving into to the, I guess we should talk about the classics a little bit now. Um, we're moving into this next little period. Talking a bit of tech now. What are you looking forward to? What do you mean tech? A bit tech, like technical. System six. <laughs> no, <laughs> not that technical. Hashtag faster everywhere. Fast forward to Roubaix last year. Um, you know, top ten at Roubaix. And me riding you with you the first time last year in the Classics, and I've seen a massive change for you this year in the Classics, and it could be a combination of what you've just been talking about in terms of your mental state, but it also could be a combination of your fitness too. I don't know either side, if you were fitter last year or this year, or if you were mentally on last year or this year. I don't know that stuff. You can comment on that, but I've seen a massive change because... I'm continually trying to push myself to the front and I'm often looking towards the front and seeing you there and going, 
I need to get there to your wheel. And last year, it wasn't the case. No. I'm not saying you were in the back, but it wasn't as often I saw you in front of me. Not that, not that saying <laughs> that would be too hard either. But the point is, you're in the race and you're very, very present in it. But in saying that, I wouldn't say I'd given up all hope for you, but I definitely didn't see Roubaix coming. And something happened, that switch between the Flandern races and Roubaix last year. And then on from there, a lot of stuff's happened between Roubaix last year and now. But I'm seeing the rider that was at Roubaix last year, I'm seeing that here now. Is that a combination of everything you've just been speaking about? Talk about that switch, sorry, between that one week. Yeah. Um, honestly, I decided to quit like the day before Roubaix. Right. I told my... I'm not, I haven't told anybody this, but like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the room with you. Why didn't you tell me? I told my agent, like, I'm done. Like, I I didn't have any fun in, in Belgium in the classics. And like you said, I wasn't a part of the race. And I just was like mentally really switched off that whole period. And I couldn't turn myself on. Yeah. So I, I just said, this, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to. I guess I'm just gonna make YouTube videos and like travel the world. I'm done. I don't want to. I don't want to re- renegotiate contract or anything. And that was the day before Roubaix last year. And so I felt like, just mentally, I just needed to like clear. I just needed to let go of something. And so I just let go of this idea of like, okay, this is my last. This is my last Roubaix. And as I approached, I approached it that way. I thought, I started to recognize, like, okay, I think I actually know how to do this, you know, like... At what moment was that? In the race or before the race? Just before the race. Yeah. And I also, I also recognized that I hadn't done any kind of goal setting really since I came back from my injury, which was like four years ago. No, five years ago now, but four years ago at that time. And... I've always been a really goal-oriented kind of athlete. Um, I always needed to write goals down. And so the day that I decided that I was going to quit, I also wrote that I wanted to be top 10 in Roubaix the next day. Wow. And it was really almost difficult for me to write that. Like, it was difficult for me to put that out into the universe for some reason. I think because... Did you not believe it? Uh, I think because in the past I've attached a lot of emotion and expectation to goals. Yeah. And because I was, uh, because I've been, when I was younger, I was really successful at just knocking goals down. It was like anything I put up there, if I didn't make it, it was this massive disappointment for me. And if I did make it, all I got was a relief. And it was like, okay, what's the next goal? Mm. So Roubaix was the first time really since I since I started racing again, where I sat down with myself, like not with the team, you know, you can talk to the team Mm. and you can talk to the directors and they're like, what race do you want to do well? And then you're like this, this, and this, but it's like when it's with yourself and you're writing it down in your own notebook, like, okay, my goal tomorrow is I want to be top 10. And I just started from that moment. I just was like, okay, actually, I just know what I need to do. Like, we all know what we need to do. You know, you need to be in the right position. You know, you need to, like, eat and drink as much as you can. You need to kind of hide, but you also, there's times when you need to spend energy. And I have 
I mean, yeah. So I just went out there and I just, I just did that. Talk me through the actual race then. Like, were there moments there where you were just like... Well, I spent the first two hours trying to get in the breakaway. Yeah, I remember. Like jumping and stuff and wasting a lot of energy. And I almost made it, but I didn't. They weren't going to let me go. Um, Did you think then, fuck this goal, I'm not going to go for it? Or were you like, okay, how am I going to get top 10 now? Yeah, it's just a readjustment. It was just like, I've got nothing to lose. This is my only, this is the only race. Roubaix is the only race on the calendar, the only mass start race on the calendar where I, being 87 kilos, am not at a disadvantage. Mm. And in fact, I'm at an advantage at times. And it's also, I've been doing so much riding, so much dirt riding um, on my Roubaix bike and a lot of mountain biking to where when I when we jump on the cobbles and we're, if we're off on the dirt on the side or whatever, I just feel like I can move around these people. Like mm. that these guys, they, they spend so much time training and riding up and down mountains and like curating their engine, but they don't spend a lot of time like Backhand-like. moving with their bicycle mm. and operating their bicycle as the tool that it is. And... So those two things, I just felt like, okay, unless I cramp or something, like... I've got this. I can be there. I know where I need to be. It's just staying switched on and not giving up. How's that, how's that transition into this year? Well, yeah, this year, I guess I just... Have you kept goal setting? <clears throat> yeah, I, go, I, have a, I have a list of goals that I actually sent out to the team in December and <laughs> you don't have to say them no. yeah it's um no but is are they are they are your goals like big goals like specific race results or are you writing things down too for yourself like for instance yeah. in the race you're like i want to do this i want to be in that corner i want to be present at that moment i want to make sure i'm there and then there's the end goal yeah. or is it just entirely race result in goals no I think that that was my that was my problem with writing with writing goals earlier in my career was it was always an end result goal and it was always a number and while I do have some goals this year that are result based most of my goals are around this idea of like enjoying myself yeah and also because it's not a, it's not fun most of the time. It's it's really painful and it's stressful and it's scary. But just remaining switched on is probably my has been my biggest goal of mm. just not only remaining switched on, but like I said before, just letting things go. Yeah. And attempting to remain really current with the state of my body and the state of my mind. Mm. And I think in that way, yes, I feel like. I've also been training myself this year, so I haven't had a I haven't had a program. Yeah, right. <laughs> since I didn't know that actually. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I technically I work with Alan Lim. Yeah. But he. Uh, just we yeah, I just don't. He just yeah, unless I reach out to him and I ask him for something specific, um, he doesn't write anything down, and I just do. 
what, what you I feel. feel like I need to do. Yeah. So I felt like I've been able to come to the races not overloaded with this, 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 uh, this feeling of like that I've just been performing all the time because with the coaches that I've had in the past and just with coaches in general, a lot of the way that we structure training is like we're attempting to hit these benchmarks all the time. It's like a mini race the whole time, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really intense. And it takes a lot mentally. It takes a lot out of me to train like that. And I feel like I can I can train like that. And I hope to be able to train like that again. But I needed this space. I needed just to have one year of my career where I was like just doing whatever I wanted. Mm. And if I show up to the races and I'm shit and I'm fat and I just get dropped, like that's on me, entirely on me. And I have to deal with that. But if I don't, I feel like I'm able to come to these races and I'm clear headed and I haven't been weighed down at home with like expectations and I don't wake up every morning like, okay, I have to do this and I have these intervals because they would stress me out. Yeah. Like I would wake up stressed out that I have to go do these threshold intervals and I'd be stressed that I wouldn't be able to like... Reach the power. Accomplish them, yeah. you know, which is ridiculous because you're just trying to work to be better. But it's this mentality thing and I felt like I needed to change that and the only way that I was going to change that was just to cut coaching ties completely and just do 100% whatever I wanted. What are you thinking now? Um, and this is something I noticed coming to this team, of being surrounded a little bit more about like-minded people in this team, especially. Like this is, this is quite a lot of guys in this team that are um, think differently to a lot of cyclists out there. Are you enjoying that atmosphere here? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, I think we have a great we have a great group and. I just like it seems like I can be a hell of a lot more myself and a bit more open and whatever and it just it gets accepted more here you know between the group yeah I mean having EF I I think that there's two things that I really value about this team Um, one of them is working with education first working with EF and having a mission that is outside of just making a company money Oh, yeah. It's outside of, like, we're trying to win races so that we can make money for this sponsor that is just paying us and we don't really know what they make. You know, they make flooring or it's just like a billionaire somewhere and he just wants to brag to his friends. Like, that was BMC. Mm. It was like, you need to be the best so that our owner can tell his friends that he has the best bike team in the world. And it's like, all right, but what are we doing yeah outside of that you know what is the purpose what's the intention so having this intention of promoting education and working with a company that is open to to just inviting us into their team Mm -hmm. into their whole workforce and promotes us within their company to get this workforce of like 50,000 people into what we're doing is amazing. I mean, having them at Tour of Colorado last year, there were like 2,800 people from the They're EF pretty nuts, there. aren't they? And they're just like yeah, they're nuts stoked. I mean, yeah. most of them have just, just gotten out of college. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like 
It's like you're going back to uni when you meet them. They're like... Yeah. And you're like, hell yeah. I mean, it's just energy, right? Yeah. It's like having energy behind you, no matter where it is in the world, if it's directed towards you, it's, it's mm. gonna, it has some sort of an effect. And so having them come in with their mission and sharing what they share about the world and also not hammering us like we need results but it's more about like exploration of the world and exploration Mm. of yourself and connecting and inspiring with people bringing it down to that real human like rooting rooting that grounding that that intention down I think is is huge for me and I see that across the whole the whole team Mm. I've seen it too. Yeah. Well, mate, um, really nice insight. Actually, it's given me, <laughs> it's given me a bit to think about before the race tomorrow. And I was actually trying to jot down some things in my diary before about what I wanted to achieve for the race tomorrow. We didn't have a really good start the other day, and I'm like, I had like same thing. I had no goals written for Wednesday, and I just went in there. And I sat down this afternoon and I was thinking about what do I want out of tomorrow's race? And um, I'm glad I sat down with you tonight because it's just given me another way to think about things. Um, so I hope I hope everyone out there can take something out of this because I think it's it's not just about racing. I think you've given me us a good insight to, yeah, how to approach life in general. Thanks, big boy. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Anytime. Thank you. No worries. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one and you're able to take something away from it. I want to say thanks to my producer behind the scenes, Lara, and everyone for listening. Keep listening and sending in your feedback to us at Life in the Peloton on Instagram or Twitter accounts. And until next time, see you soon.